0: Hello, and welcome to the Arizona Civics Podcast. In this podcast, we will share our journey of sustaining Arizona's interest in reforms to civics by collaborating with civic educators in our state and nationwide. This important work is being spearheaded by the Center for American Civics at Arizona State University. I'm Liz Evans, Civic Education Program Director at ASU, and your host for this podcast. I will interview teachers, content experts, and civic education leaders throughout our episodes, providing valuable insights and perspectives. We hope you enjoy joining us on this journey to make Arizona a national civics model. All right, welcome, everyone, back to the Rebuilding Arizona Civics podcast. I am your host, Liz Evans, and today I am joined by my colleagues, Jeff Davis and Dylan Dalzato, and we actually have a incredible guest today. and We're very excited. So I'm actually going to turn it over to Dylan to introduce our guest um, and get us started.
1: Yeah. And Marshall, I guess we'll start with some brief introductions with us so you know who you're talking to today. And then if it's okay, I wrote a brief introduction for you. Um, I'm Dylan Dalzado. I work with the veteran programs at the Center for Political Thought and Leadership And I've known you over the years, Marshall, through my work at Unified Arizona Veterans Mm -hmm. and your association with the Arizona Veterans Hall of Fame. Um, Marshall, among many things, is class of 2004. And I'll go with my colleague Jeff here to introduce himself. Oh, hi, I'm Jeff, and I work at the CPTL with Liz as the uh, Program Directors of Civic Education. And uh, I'm also very excited to be here and and, uh, hear more of your story, Marshall, and and learn some things about Arizona. All right. Uh, Marshall is an American author, singer, former community college professor, and Arizona's official state historian. He served as director of Southwest Studies at Scottsdale Community College for over 40 years and is a popular contributor to True West Magazine's question and answers so anything questions that this magazine have i guess you're the the person to answer all marshall (laughs) yeah
2: so they say i times i have to look them up myself i have to look in my own book um i'm doing that right now i've been working on an answer uh, uh, some guy uh i have a a steady questioner from mesa and uh he's got about a question a week (laughs) wonderful (laughs) so uh, but they're good questions and I don't mind answering them.
1: Well, I wrote a couple bullet points down that I just thought maybe you could walk us through and they're, you know, kind of spread out. I know you were, you were born in, in Mesa in 1939. And it seemed at an early age, you got involved with baseball, but kind of walk me through your early, early years okay. and what your family was like, how you grew up. And
2: okay, actually I was born in Tempe. Oh, okay. Uh, we lived in, my mother graduated from Tempe high school in 1935. And, um, uh, at the time, we, it was it was called Kyrene. It was a little farm community out south of Tempe, and um, very isolated from downtown Tempe. Uh, Tempe at that time ended about Broadway. Uh, uh, you know, the southern you, you, anything south of that was all agriculture. This was 1939, so it has been a while. A couple of years. Yeah. So uh, started out there and. Um, uh, then um, in about 1944, just before the war ended, we moved to Mesa and Lehigh. So I, uh, I went to Lehigh School for the first grade. And, um, and then we then began, then began the moving around. Um, my, my second year, I was uh, in Colorado. And my third year, I was at West Phoenix, uh, Alhambra, And going to uh, Alhambra Grade School, and um, then by the time I got to, I think uh, I think I I figured I was in five schools by the time I was in the fourth grade. (laughs) So uh, I was just we were we were pretty mobile, and uh, Dad hired out for the railroad then, uh, Santa Fe Railroad, and um, we moved to the little town of Ashford. And Fork was up on Route 66, and it was interesting because this was Route 66 in 1946. So old oh, Route 66 was, uh, you know, it, it was just a two-lane road, and um, and it was it was. I, I saw. I, I guess it was the heyday because the war was over. You could get gas again for your vehicle, and you could travel, and uh, or you could always go by train because the trains of, coming through there all day long and troop trains were coming through all the time too and box uh, uh, trains flatbeds with tanks and artillery on them we were used to seeing it all then Korea came almost immediately and so but um, uh, I I was really I was really grateful that I I kind of saw history in the making at Route 66 because in 1955 Eisenhower uh, put in that interstate system that he had learned about in Germany because the Germans had such an efficient uh, interstate highway system.
1: So do you think it was that, that boom of kind of really seeing the action taking place Route 66 being built was kind of the, of a catalyst for you to be interested in history or did it take place before then or after then or like when, was, did, you, when did you think, wow, this well, is really my thing?
2: History was all around us with the war. I knew, I knew the war history, I knew the war heroes Joe Foss and John Bass alone, especially the Marines, uh, and uh, and I had a cousin who was killed uh, in the South Pacific in the Marines, and and my uncle uh, was killed in um, New Guinea. So, um, but uh, but I just history always uh, just attracted me. There was something that attracted me, and it's too bad it took me so long to realize it because all I could think about were well later girls. Uh, <laughs> came with High School. Always happened. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh but uh baseball, that was all there was to do in Ashford. And we had no television, no phones, um, nothing to distract us. We just we 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 just played baseball whenever we had it, and basketball in the winter. And so um but we didn't have a large enough school to play football, so never got a chance to have that opportunity. If you look at the helmets they were wearing back then, I probably still have all my teeth, and my nose hasn't been broken but once or twice.
1: When the when I saw the baseball um, uh, key point, that was was a, a semi pro baseball league. Is that correct that you played with? You you played yeah. with a couple of them. That or? was after
2: we moved back. Well, I played I played it up in northern Arizona, and we just called them town teams. But uh, they were usually post high school years until you were probably twenty five. It was a, just a natural thing to do because. These towns all along Route 66 and the Verde Valley—they all had men's teams, and um, y- you never see that anymore. And then um, when we moved back here, uh, oh, by the way, I always enjoyed that because uh, after high school sports, you know, we, we there was a lot of discipline with the coaches and all the schools and everything. And and I I'd go I, I, as soon as the baseball high school baseball season was over, uh, I would go down and. Uh, Sign up for the men's team, and uh, and they they, some of those guys were pretty good ball players along there because that's again they just they they didn't they didn't stop after high school they kept playing and a lot of the Mormon teams are really good because they were just those guys ran us to death in basketball and and uh, they they were just so athletic right so uh, but uh, made a lot of good friends there during those years and and then. um, my senior year of high school, uh, the Santa Fe Railroad bypassed Ash Fork, Horace, a <laughs> town. Uh, the trains didn't come rolling through there day and night now. And um, they'd gone to diesels and never did think diesels were very exciting as those steam engines, those rolling steam engines. <laughs> and uh, and so, but the dad, the work, the work dried up in Ash Fork and he was on a, he was on a district called the Peavine, and it was because the canyons at, at, uh, between Phoenix or Prescott, I should say, between Prescott and Ashford were just twisting and winding and switchbacks and lazy loops. And and um, and so uh, they called it a Peavine because when they first built it in 1895, uh, it was to link Phoenix with the Mainline Railroad. And to this day, it's still Phoenix's only link with the Mainline Railroad, so we were always proud of that because nobody recognized us for that. And uh, and also, there was no Interstate 17 then, so um, uh, the main highway was Highway 89 from um, Phoenix to Wickenburg to Prescott to Ash Fork. And that's all changed now. But uh, that was... That was, those were our, that's what I grew up with. And then when I was, when I was 16, uh, we moved back down.
0: We can edit anything
2: out. Okay. So we don't have to worry about that. These are, these are
1: no call. It might be important. <laughs> it's not. Stop. When, it, when it stops ringing, though, I do have a thought, though, with the railroads. Or I just go now. We'll just wait okay, play. when it does, I did have a thought okay. of that, and then maybe you two can correct me. Uh, he can correct on? you. I won't be the one correcting Do you. you. On? I'll tell you that right now, Dylan. <laughs> yes. No, on? if if it sounds really bad, then just say that's just wrong, Dylan. But when you mentioned the uh, the push of diesel trucks kind of taking over for the railroad system, I think you know when I was a student, you looked at the the, the United States map as a whole, and it looked like a spider web of railroad. Yeah, and you know industry and and. Um, that just soon kind of disappeared. Yeah. And then there was, you know, maybe five or six of them that, that, as you mentioned, kind of crisscross the United States, but the diesel truck kind of took over, and that was the 60s. Yeah. And the railroad system just kind of. And I
0: can edit. I can edit that background noise out. You guys
1: can. Keep okay. Is that pretty much correct with the railroad systems, though? Because that was like the main deal with U- the Union Pacific Railroad, built this huge infrastructure, and then it just, I don't know what, what, how many years it lasted, but sooner or later they started building more roads, and it just kind of went away.
2: Well, they started building freeways, for, and the trucks, you know, the truck is coming out the, the big 18-wheelers. But another thing was um, uh, air, air aviation, mm. because um, uh, now people were flying, uh, and then when when jet when the, when the jet aircraft came in in the fifties, uh, with the, with the major airlines, um, it, people could people could get across the country in such a short time, and I saw all those changes uh, as a, as a youngster, uh, and a college kid.
1: And you dropped out of college in nineteen fifty seven to join the Marine
2: Corps. Yeah,
1: Will you uh, talk us through that. What your thought process were? What you what you wanted
2: to do and. Maybe, you know, well, I knew, changes. I knew I was going to get drafted. And I, and I thought if I'm going to join anything, I'm going to join the Marines. And um, there, there was just always something about that magic of calling yourself a Marine. And I, I, there, a lot of times later on while I was in boot camp and places like that, I said, boy, why did you do this to yourself? <laughs> why did you do right. this? But uh, I, uh, in the, at the end, in boot camp, I got um, a meritorious promotion, and I'd had no RLTc, no, no, no uh, training of any kind. But um, my drill instructor uh, picked me one of seventy five, I think it was, and of, uh, a, a meritorious PFC, which was quite a thing then. Mm-hmm. And um, but um, I was I was determined. I thought I, I was gonna I was gonna make a career of it. And then something soured me along the way. I went to go to college, and I had a chance to... Uh, I had earlier tried to get into a Marine officer program, and it was called platoon leader's class. And two or three of us went down. We were, we were at Phoenix College then, and we went down to um, sign up for it. And uh, I washed out because I, was, uh, I had a astigmatism in my left eye. And I had, I had, I, an I, Ted Williams would have envied this <laughs> night, but I had an eye here over here, Mr. Bagoo. And, <laughs> and so um, there was, a, a, I just, uh, I, I thought, I want to be an officer. And so, um, and remind me to tell you the story of how that changed late, uh, many, many, many years later, um, when I was in my 70s, I think. But uh, I had... Um, uh, I, I I just thought I, I'm never. I don't want to be. I I, I want to be a, a leader, an officer, and so um, um, I found out that that was never going to happen because in the Marines. But I didn't know what. I didn't know much about history then, <laughs> because uh, in uh, t- ten years later, Vietnam, and and a marine a marine officer told me, you know, said if you came along now, we'd grab you in, <laughs> in ten seconds and uh but they didn't have any use for me uh, this was just after korea and uh, they didn't have any use for me in 1957 and um or 56 it was actually and so i um, um i thought well maybe maybe i can get into an officer in another way uh into officer candidate school of some kind and maybe through rltc or something like that and um and they won't be so partic- particular about the eyesight. Oh, in fact, I, I cheated on the, fir- on, the, on the first exam. <laughs> I, they said, cover, um, Trimble. I was in this recruiting service down in, down in uh, downtown Phoenix. And um, this, guy, this guy said, okay, cover your left eye. So I covered my left eye like that. Um, and, um, I, I, and I covered my left eye and I read the chart. Right down almost to the bottom, and then um, he said, "Okay, now cover the other eye," and I went like that. Just a quick uh, uh, hand slick. You got another marine doing the
1: eye test. You can get away with that, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's what I figured.
2: Then my uh, my youthful religion uh, training taught me, "Thou shalt not lie," and so the next day I went down and I said, "I have to confess, I." I cheated on the eye exam yesterday, and because I just knew, I just it, it just didn't feel right, and they I thought they'll catch me anyway. It'll catch up to you. And that's what the guy said. He said, "Well, we appreciate your honesty today, but uh, we would have caught it anyways." <laughs> right. <laughs> it's so bad because they said I said what well, what I said I played baseball and when I, I was a right-handed hitter, so I was batting like this, and the only way. My good eye should have been over here. Uh, or they should have made a lefty out of me and, had be, and be over here where my right eye was looking right at the pitcher. Now I had to turn around almost face the pitcher. And I wasn't a bad hitter for northern Arizona anyway. But um, I, I got, uh, uh, I, I just, I just um, had to do it. I, I, and, and, and so they dropped me out. And three of us, three of us applied and uh, two made it and I didn't. And one of the two was killed at, at first week in Vietnam. And the other one became an mar- off, officer in the Marines for 21 years, 20 wow. years. And so who knows what would have happened to me. But right. um, I, um, uh, I happened to have had a Marine recruiting officer, head of the reserve unit down here in Phoenix, uh, uh living just up the street from me and uh, he said marshall um i hadn't gone to boot camp yet when all this happened and he said marshall um uh, 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 why don't you join the reserves and you can go to boot camp and go to six months active duty and do all of the stuff for six months and then you come home and then you do a long term in the reserves fill out your finish your uh, eight-year obligation so um I thought about that and I thought, you know, I can go to college now and I, maybe I can uh, not get drafted because I'll be in the reserves. And so um, this was a new program that they had, they, they, not just the Marines, but all the all the military had put in for for guys that wanted to go to college uh, and not have to get drafted, there's a pretty good chance you'd get drafted. Uh, and uh, so, so I, I escaped being drafted. And I got through, and um, and by that time I was I was twenty one years old, and um, still no Vietnam. Nobody had ever heard of Vietnam when I graduated from college, and I thought, yeah, maybe I'll just go out and coach. I wanted to coach, and um, I thought I'd do that. And so I I took that. I had a choice to do that. I I did it and just. Finished my time in the reserves, and um, and stuck with that. And that's when I was told, you know, if if you about four years later Vietnam came, and I said uh, I sure want to be a marine officer, and um, but it's you know, I guess it's not not meant to be. And um, anyway, that's that's in a nutshell. And then when the Veterans Hall of Fame thing came along, I'm fast forwarding it now, but a little bit. The Veterans Hall of Fame came and um, uh, one of the one of the men who came to said I want to nominate you for the Veterans Hall of Fame and I said I can't accept it and he said why not and I said first of all I, I was mostly a reserve and um, and I didn't uh, uh, I, I didn't I didn't have any brave moments there was no war um, there wasn't what e- was e- even, well, the Cold War was raging, but uh, I said, I, I, uh, I, I can't accept that because I, I'm not a hero, and I don't even want anybody to think I was. And uh, he said, the rules of the Veterans Hall of Fame are not what you did while you were in, mm-hmm. and if you served more than 100 days, you're eligible. Uh, so uh, uh, I, I said, uh, I think I was six months active duty plus reserve time and uh, summer camp time. And so I said, well, uh, I'll accept it under those uh, under that. Uh, I, I thought I had to, you know, do something brave. And they said, no, it's what you're doing.
0: Can I ask you, Jeff, if you will move closer and put the mic on your lap? Yep. His mic. His mic. Yeah. Because then, if you want to ask questions too, you can share it. I just need it to be a little bit closer. If that's this mic. needs to be closer. Okay. So if you could put it on your lap, yep. like the oh, with the box and does all. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Just raise it up. Okay. Yeah. So as you learned, quiet too, uh, Marshall. The if you
0: want to ask questions, you can just ask it into that mic too, and I'm gonna.
1: The requirements for being inducted into the Hall of Fame are um, all the things that a veteran has done to serve their community above and beyond their military service. Yeah, that's
2: that's what they explained to me So that's in, when I said I would. Uh, I get could, I could accepted under those conditions.
1: So in between that time where you were inducted and the several years before, I assume a lot of it was uh, through education, that your service to the – to the community was that through education i know you spent you know 40 some years at scottsdale community yeah. college describe to me what your your connection was, was with them,
2: the youth i was on several boards um uh at the time too uh and uh, that was i can't even remember which ones they were now but um, uh, i was on these different clubs military type clubs because i still had the military spirit and uh and uh, that's Pretty much, uh, that's pretty much it, yeah. Okay.
1: But as a director at the Scottsdale Community College Southwest Studies, that was, was that something that you were actively teaching, or were you more kind of at an administrative level? No, I was
2: teaching Arizona. You
1: were teaching the whole time I two there? I took
2: colleges then.
1: What were some of the, obviously, I know it's the question's silly, Arizona history, but were there specific courses that you remember in your mind that you enjoyed teaching?
2: It was only Arizona. It was only Arizona, Arizona, yeah. yeah.
1: Arizona and Southwest, obviously. Okay. Well, I I
2: I team taught with uh, an archaeologist and an anthropologist and 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 other subjects related to the Southwest. So we we were team. So when you're there taking a teaching with somebody else, you're picking up on what they're saying. And so I, uh, I I got I got to know my archaeology and my anthropology. and my geography and 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 take us back
1: real quick through that story i know jeff and i asked you you know i assumed that if you're going to be an arizona california nevada historian they put you on a game show like jeopardy and you go head to head and they do like a a bracket like you know ncaa college tournament but can you walk us through that process of you know how how you got into that position where they said marshall you're going to be the guy
2: well uh, I have to thank the Southwest Studies Program for a lot of that because I was I was traveling in the summertime and and, 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 and giving guest lectures all around the state uh, from northern and S- to southern Arizona and so um, I was getting a lot of experience. Just I'd be down in Cochise County uh, lecturing to a class and and um, or Yavapai County and that kind of thing and I loved it because it was. Uh, it just it just took me out there, and when you're out there, you spend a lot of time, you know, uh, you know up in, maybe I was in Kingman and I was hanging out in the museum, and I was really seeing Arizona up close and personal, and um, because you know I would lived here all my life, and I guess I, I kind of had I kind of had the uh, I was comfortable, and I I also learned quickly be sure and let them know you're from Ash Fork. They find out you're from Scottsdale. They say, (laughs)
1: "They they still do that, don't they?"
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I and I still do that too. Uh I'm in one of these foreign towns, uh, uh, and I can't tell you how many times I played in Prescott. And I had also learned to play the guitar in college, and um, and I got caught up in that folk music era and the Kingston Trio and Peter, Paul and Mary and all of this. And I just, uh, I, I I just love folk music to this day. I'm an old folky. And, um, so, um, uh, I took my guitar along and that was what really, I forgot to mention that earlier. It's important to, uh, and that is when I started teaching at Coronado, I was teaching American history at first, just for the first year or two. And, um, I I was I was struggling with it because first of all I didn't uh, I hadn't majored in history I I just minored in history because I liked it liked it but um, uh, I, it, it, my major was physical education I thought I wanted to be a coach and uh, after about two years of teaching PE uh, I uh, I thought you know what this is not what I want to do. So uh, he gave up on that and he decided he, he rented a building in Bisbee there around Brewery Gulch. And he, he opened it uh, and he called it the One Book Bookstore. Everyone want to carry one book in there, my book. <laughs> and that way I'll get all the money for it and I won't have to pay a bookstore. I just, I'd love that independent Arizona spirit. And uh, that is so Arizona. It's one of the most Arizona stories I know. That is uh, character. <laughs> yeah. and uh, oh, there's more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, he he did he did pretty well, uh, and, and pretty soon, you know, Bisbee's off of uh, I ten. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, with the old US eighty used to run down through Bisbee, loop down there, but with but, uh, the freeway came, uh, it, it bypassed Bisbee, and so. Um, but people heard about that one-book bookstore. People, First of all, they started talking about it in Tucson. And then in Tucson, the word reached Phoenix. And I drove all the way down to Bisbee to get a copy of it. <laughs> i still got it here somewhere, some of these books. Me and Henry, it's called. And his it, it's, it's, uh, younger brother was Henry. So it was me and Henry. The things we did in Bisbee when we were kids and it was just a good old folksy Tom Sawyer type book. And so uh, I uh, he, I was telling a story once to my college students. And uh, a fellow raised his hand and he said, I was just in Bisbee last week and you know what? He's got a second book out now. And he got a second store. And he called it the second book bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Johnny Carson I heard about him and they still play him sometimes on the old Johnny Carsons and David Letterman too both of them interviewed Walter Swan and he told these stories about me and Henry and uh, but especially about the book <laughs> so so anyhow we uh, it's one of my still one of my favorite Arizona stories just that the people you know the um, let's see um we got another one um my my favorite's just come and go because mm-hmm. and then another one comes be becomes, becomes my favorite, but uh, but uh there's um
0: uh,
2: Remy Jim Remy Jim Gettings at a Texaco station up on in Two Guns, Arizona on Route sixty six in the nineteen thirties. And um Water is really scarce up there. I know, cause in Ashford, we had our water all hauled in by train from Chino Valley. We didn't even have a well till the 1970s. Wow! And um, and they go had to dig 3,000 feet to get to water. So we got a well now, but boy, it was it was an expensive venture. Well, anyway, um, so water was always an issue. And I worked at, I, I worked as a gas jockey when I was there in high school, and you know we had to lock the bathrooms to keep people from going in there and using water if they weren't a customer. <laughs> I didn't like doing that, but um, but that's what the boss boss said. And so, um, he um, uh, he decided he would, uh, he, he had outhouses because they didn't have any water either. Mm-hmm. So, well, it's like Ash Fork had almost all outhouses. Everybody had an outhouse, it seemed like. And um, uh, so, he was um, um, built an outhouse, and he thought, "Well, people would complain. women were complaining, especially the tourists from California. Uh, I'm not going to go in there and use, use an outhouse, so he thought, I'll, I'll build a bigger house with another seat there where you can have somebody else to talk with." <laughs> oh <laughs> so, he was a cowboy. He was a, he was a Texas cowboy, and that's uh, great. Yes. So, uh, but R- Remy Jim uh, did that, and then people would start cussing him out. Women would go in there, and there was another woman sitting there, <laughs> and she'd come out cussing at him. And so he thought, well, I'll I'll, I'll fix them. So um, he didn't do it for all women, but he he, he put a microphone uh, down in there or. Uh, a sound system, I mean, down in there, inside one of the holes. And when a woman complained um, about having to use it, he only did it for the women who complained. And he would, he would wait till she got in there and had time to get seated comfortably, and then he would, he would turn on the microphone and would say, "Excuse me, ma'am, but I'm under here. I'm trying to paint under here. Oh, would oh, oh, you mind moving to the other hole?" Oh my God! <laughs> and uh, this is typical Route 66 stuff. That's uh, great. He became famous. <laughs> See, he became famous, and so. Uh, uh. But if if I had my if I had my list of stuff, I could point out others. There's it, it, just a, a variety of uh, of anecdotes that you know. If it's the end of the end end of the evening, and you want to have them go home with a laugh, uh, and and I would also do cowboy poetry. Hmm. I would recite a cowboy poem for him like that. Oh, um, this one was written by my friend. It was. It was, it was called. Um, I have to think about it. It'll pop into my head here. Um, shoot. Um, oh. I went to see the banker to borrow me some dough. I went with fear and trembling, and I was afraid he'd tell me no, but that old banker, he surprised me. He says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I've got a glass eye. If you could tell which, well, I'll make that loan to you. Well, I'm sure he had done this before with a many unsuspecting catch, because he'd won more times than lost, because his eyes so well matched how could I tell which I was glass oh and then I saw the light it's that one sir I'm sure it is it's the one there on the right well that that old banker he was startled that I could think so fast and he said well I'll keep my word you'll get your loan but tell me how did you guess well, sir, I've done it in this fashion. That one there on the right, the glass eye, it has just a glimmer of compassion. <laughs> That's a good one. I, I, I spun that for, uh, I was speaking to a group of bankers one time because I thought, I just see if they got a sense of humor. Huh? <laughs> Almost everyone in that audience, uh, it was a convention thing I was uh, speaking at almost everyone in the audience came up and said, Marshall, would, would you would, would you get, let me write down the words get let me write down the words of that poem. I want to tell it to my colleagues." That is great. and I thought bankers do have a sense of humor.
1: Well, uh sticking with the speaking, you the know, poem theme. No, I just want to you know, I don't have any uh, further questions, but I want to thank you on behalf of all of us for your time and when we had spoke on the phone last night, you Agreed, and if you still do, I would. I think it would be great if you would lead us out with ragged old flags. I'd love to. Yeah, oh, wonderful. That's one of my my favorites.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Mark. Yeah, this all started. This all started. Um, um, no, actually, it started for me years ago. It was written by Johnny Cash in 1970, and so I had to add a few more lines to it because history history goes on. Time marches on. In 1970. Lots, lots happened since since so, I um, but just this past summer, um, I saw one of these. I don't know what you call it. They they have acronyms for them. But um, um she was uh, she was saying the American flag, no longer, has any relevance to this country. And I thought, what? Um, I still bleed red, white, and blue. <laughs> you know, I thought. What what is she saying? And she said it um, um. It's it's lost all purpose. It doesn't mean anything anymore. And we should get a new flag with a variety of colors. And um, it made me think of you know it, it made me I, I, now when I go to the Veterans Hall of Fame to do it I always use that to introduce it what she said about our flag, and uh, but that that was my so that's now my prelude to doing Ragged Old Flag. I was walking. I would have put my hat on. Yeah? Yeah. Well, you're not filming it, so. No, okay. I'll, feed, well, I'll feed. Oh, I'll I'll see, see, oh we're going to do this this. I'll it, yeah. Okay. I'm going to say have not to you, done.
1: Do it, Dr.
2: Okay, watch out for that cord. This is not my everything. Oops, this is not my everyday hat. Uh, it's out in the truck, but uh. okay. I don't have my harmonica. I'll have to get it. Where is it? It's back here. Okay. Don't mess up the words. <laughs> I was walking through a courtyard in a county square and in a park. On a bench, I saw an old man sitting there, and I said, Say, your old courthouse, she's getting kind of run down. He said, Oh, it'll do all right for our little town. I said, Well, that's a skinny old flagpole you've got there. Now she's leaning just a bit. And that is a ragged old flag that you've got hanging from it. He said, Son, have a seat. So I sat down, and he said, is this the first time that you've come to visit our little town? I said it was. He said, well, now, I don't like to brag, but you see, I'm kind of proud of that ragged old flag. Because you see, the hole in that flag there, that came when General Washington was carrying her across the Delaware. And she got those powder burns, on the night that Francis Scott Key sat down and wrote the words, Oh, say can you see. She got that tear down in New Orleans while that British redcoat, coat, and Andy Jackson was a pulling at her seams. She was there in spirit with those brave defenders at the Alamo. And she was there a few weeks later with Sam Houston at San Jacinto, She got cut by a sword at Shiloh Hill. She got cut by another one at Chancellorsville. What with Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson and Beauregard and Bragg. Why, that old south wind blew mighty hard on that ragged old flag. But she reunited the nation, and she gave it a thrill, when she rode with Teddy Roosevelt's Rough Riders up San Juan Hill. Then on Flanders Field in World War I, she took a direct hit from a big Bertha gun. She turned bright red in World War II. Oh, she hung in limp and weary by the time that one was through. But she went off again to Korea, Vietnam, Somalia, Bosnia, Kosovo, Serbia, Iraq, and Afghanistan. She went proudly wherever she was sent by her Uncle Sam. The Native American, the blacks, the browns, the yellows and the whites, all shed blood red for those stars and stripes. But even in our own nation, she's been put to the test. She's been spat upon and burned and spat, stomped on. but She's still getting a little threadbare and a little thin. But you know, she, she's in pretty good shape for the shape that she's in. Because she's been through that fire before. And she can take all that and a whole lot more. That's why we raise her with our honor every morning and lower her with dignity at night. And we treat her with respect. And we always fold her up just right. You know, on second thought, I do like to brag. Cause you see, I'm mighty proud of that ragged old flag.
0: Thank you for joining us. Just wanted to give a heads up that you can find the Center for American Civics on all social media channels as ASU Civics. We love connecting with our community and sharing our thoughts on the issues that matter to us. So if you're interested in our content or just want to say hi, don't hesitate to give us a follow. Plus, we always include any relevant links in our podcast show notes. So be sure to check those out too. Thanks for being a part of our journey.